Have you ever wondered what it's like to be able to create your own snack brand? To be able to create cookie dough and to be able to not only create this cookie dough and this great product, but have a great community behind it who is really engaged in your product, be able to build that organic following. And in today's episode, we go into just that. I got to interview Erica. She is the founder of Brodo. Brodo is Canada's first better for you edible cookie dough. Their cookie dough is 100% vegan, contains plant-based protein, and uses natural sweeteners. Erica has an incredible story of what gave her the idea to start Brodo, how she was able to create this organic following of over 300k followers on social media, how she was able to really do well on LinkedIn and leverage that to build her brand. So we go into so many incredible things. So excited you guys are here. My name's Sophia. This is the shit show of my 20s. My goal is to make your 20s a little bit better and a little bit less of a shit show. So without further ado, let's get started. Thank you so much, Erica, for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to getting to know you. I love to start. Tell me about your 20s. Feel free to include any shit show moments we resonate with. Let's start there. Okay. Yeah. 20s. Gosh. So I graduated with a degree in psychology when I was like 22, 21, probably 2017. And I started working in my field. I got a job that I thought I wanted, you know, got hired. I thought I'd be making a salary, was making minimum wage, was deeply miserable, was making less money than my sister was, who was a dropout of, she dropped out of college and started working at a grocery store. And so I started working two other jobs to kind of just support myself. So I was working three jobs, hit a wall, was super, I guess, unhappy with the life that I was living, was living at home with my parents, quit all my jobs and booked a one-way trip to Southeast Asia, which is what every, you know, mid-something 20-year-old does in hopes of like finding themselves. And yeah, I ended up staying for over three months. And after that trip, I got home and it did, I guess, provide a lot of clarity to me. And I realized, okay, like life is short. There's so much that I could be doing. And I think I'm underselling myself. And, you know, I'm not happy with what I what I went to school for. Like, I, I don't want to continue going and getting my master's degree and then getting my PhD and spending my whole life, like paying off student debt. I don't think that's a life that I want to live. And that's, that's really broken and messed up. So I started a business and it's, it's been good, but it's also been a shit show to say the least over the past four years. So. <laughs> wow. It sounds like you've had like a fun 20 so far, like of a roller coaster ride. And I'm curious when you went to Asia, like what's the biggest realization you had going there? And what was that experience? Like, did you solo travel? Was it just you going there or did you go with anyone or? I told my parents that I was going by myself and they were terrified for me because I, you know, I grew up very privileged in a small town, never really got to experience another culture, like yet alone like a third world country or anything like that. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to go because I felt like, I don't know, I, I needed to see a different way of living and really appreciate what I had. And that's exactly what it did. I remember like getting off the plane 
and, you know, getting in a cab and looking out the window and seeing like a family of five on one motorbike with no helmets, like carrying like a fish and like a birdcage. And I was just like, it was, it was so, it's such a weird culture shock for me. And uh, I got to like meet people and I actually got to stay with people as well who lived there, like the locals, they took us in and I did the first month and a half on my own. And then I did a tour with like 17 people for an additional month. And then I met up with a friend for the last month. So I did like a little bit on my own and then bits and pieces with people, but uh, it was an experience and I'm really glad that I did it. And if I could say anything to someone who's maybe lost in their twenties, just go and travel while you can and like meet people, like learn more about yourself, immerse yourself in other cultures. I think that's super important. And I don't know what my life would look like if I hadn't have done it. Wow. And so from there, was that the like the realization of like, I really want to start my own business, I want to be able to do my own thing? Or was it like kind of after that, that you decided to start your company? So I think I realized what I didn't want when I was working my nine to five, I felt super undervalued. Like I'm a pretty smart person. And I, you know, I studied really hard in school, I got on the honors roll. And none of that matters when you go out into the real world, no one cares, right? I was photocopying documents and doing data entry and answering the phone and the saddest part was I needed an undergrad degree to do all of that stuff. And I could have done it all prior, right? Like I didn't need a degree for that. So I got to my breaking point and I felt like, okay, I need to do something on my own and be in charge of my own destiny. Like that's the only way that I think I'm going to, I guess, scratch that itch and be more fulfilled. And the trip just kind of bridged that gap for me. I got to meet entrepreneurs and I realized, oh, okay, like they don't have business degrees. Some of them are high school dropouts. Some of them, like I met one guy who was a lawyer and he moved to Thailand and was buying properties and building these huge houses and selling them and had no experience in that, in that industry or line of work. And I asked him, I'm like, how did you get into this? He's like, I don't know. I was just, I was curious. I wanted to do it. And I, you know, I learned as I go, you know, like it's not perfect. But I think after that, I, I sat down with myself and was like, okay, I just have to have a willingness to learn and figure it out and I can make it work. I don't need to like go to school. I don't need, you know, to have parents who can open doors for me. Like I can open those doors myself. I just have to put in the work to do it. So I guess it just further validated my curiosity, I guess, to start a business and gave me the nudge that I needed. I love that. And I feel like at that point, when you hit that wall, it's like easy to either like blame scenarios, blame like everything else or take accountability. Like, and it's kind of easy to stay in that other route of not wanting to take accountability for it. So I'm curious for you, like, what work on yourself did you do up until then to help you take the accountability to be able to change your scenario? And I'm curious if you were like doing specific work at that time to be able to really have that set you off to a different trajectory than if you would have stayed in that position. Yeah, I mean, I had nothing to lose. Honestly, I think I I was just so upset. And I'm someone who like really likes to work towards my goals. And I always have to have something going on that I'm working towards and like showing up for and I really love the process. And in 2018, like right before I uh, booked that trip, and I had that existential crisis, I competed in bodybuilding, and I was prepping for a year and a half for those shows. So I was very focused that was keeping me very busy. And I had like things that I was doing every day to move the needle forward for that. And then I went on stage, competed, the show was over, and then I was left with my feelings. And it was like, okay, now what am I doing? 
I'm just going to go in 45 minutes each way to a job that makes me miserable where I'm scanning documents and not valued for, you know, like who I am and the, the, the value that I add. And my contract was coming to a renewal and they asked me, do you want to renew your contract? And I live in Canada and I didn't have benefits. And that's like one of the perks of being Canadian is like you get benefits with where you work and I didn't have benefits. And I said, no, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm just not happy. And I had a bit of savings. And, you know, like, I also realized that like I was living at home. And if anything went sideways, then I can just, you know, I have my parents. And that's like the the safety net that I had. And I'm very grateful for. And even to this day, like, I still know I have that there if I need it. Um, like, like touch wood that I don't have to like move back home anytime soon or ever again. But you know, it, it's there if I need it. And I didn't really have like many responsibilities. Like I don't have kids or a partner or a mortgage or like my car is paid off. I don't have any pets. I don't have like anything really that's like relying on me to like provide for them. So it's a little bit easier making these, I guess, uh, decisions and risks, so to speak. Yeah. Hmm. I kind of want to go deeper into that into like bodybuilding and discipline. And then also like food, I feel like we have so many associations with food, and like eating food for comfort, eating food when we're like, maybe sad, like different emotions that come up. I'm curious when you started to go into bodybuilding, if you had those feelings come up for you around food, or like how you were able to like manage that and be able to get to that certain point for a show. Food and me have like a really really interesting relationship like I yeah I'm again I'm a very black or white person and I'm getting better I have like a gray area now and I I really preach balance like that's one thing that like since I started my business just balance is one thing that I really really try to achieve whether it be with like work and personal life or food or you know exercise you know mental health as well but yeah when I first started competing again I I got into fitness I went through a really bad breakup (laughs) really horrible breakup and you know, and I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go to the gym and run on the treadmill for an hour and cry and like watch the news that's like on the TV there, you know, I would just be like running <laughs> until my like toes bled, right? Like, that's, that's how I coped. And then I had a roommate and she competed in bodybuilding. And I saw how horrible it was for her. But I was like, yeah, let's do that. I'm gonna do that. So I uh, hired a coach and we prepped for like a year and a half. I couldn't drink. I couldn't go out. I weighed every morsel of food that went into my body, including the vegetables that went in my omelet every morning. Like it was super disciplined. And I really enjoyed the process. But little did I know that it would just like lead to lots of disordered behaviors afterwards. Because I do use food as like a coping mechanism. I always have even as a kid, like I would go home after school and just like sit watch like Jerry Springer or Maury or whatever was on TV and like, (laughs) have a bag of Lay's or whatever Ruffles chips and just like eat them and like have a great time by myself. But yeah, like it's I guess I I competed and then this product. So like my company Brodo, like it's a edible cookie dough, like that product specifically I used to make for myself when I was competing, because I couldn't eat a lot of the things that I normally ate. So I would make like these protein cookie dough bites. And uh, that's kind of where the inspiration came for the business. Like when I sat down a year later, and was like, Okay, I want to I want to start something I don't know what everyone really loved this product that I used to make or those baked goods when I was competing. And uh, that's where it all started. But yeah, food, I do love food. I'm a foodie. And it's been a rough path. But we're we're good now. <laughs> so that's so cool. I didn't realize Brodo came from that experience going and competing do you think if you never competed do you think you still would have like stumbled upon like this idea or do you think like 
maybe it wouldn't exist right now? I don't, you know, I don't think it would have existed because I was forced to, I started an Instagram account. It was called Erica Foodie. And I started posting every single thing that I ate on there and all the recipes and stuff. And I remember I would go, I had three roommates in university. I would go to the window where the lighting was good and take pictures of all the things that I would bake. (laughs) They'd make fun of me. And people really loved, like I was getting like hundreds of comments and likes and messages from people asking if I would ever sell the things that I made. And that's when I realized, oh, people want this. This is actually a business. But no, I honestly don't think that I would be here today had I not competed. Wow. That's so cool. And like when you were first starting Brodo, like what's like some of the biggest challenges you felt at the beginning or maybe something you didn't expect to happen that happened at the beginning? Yeah, I would say, I don't know. I'm a very introverted person. I'm like a forced extrovert is like what I like to say. And I'm very stubborn and I thought that I could do everything myself. And that led to burnout. So I would get people coming to me and being like, let me help you or, you know, let me take this off your plate. Or I was very bad at delegating stuff because I had what people call founder syndrome. And, you know, I can mix the cookie dough the best. I can pack the order the best. I can send the best email. So I was doing everything. And that was one thing that I wish I uh, got over sooner. I remember when I hired my first employee, like last year, it just changed everything for me. And it took so much off my plate and I could actually start growing the business rather than working in the business. So that's definitely one thing that I struggled with. And how did you work on like releasing that control of like the different things and doing everything? I hired a business coach, actually. I worked with her for a few months. And also I sat down with myself and I started journaling a lot and I, and I was like really feeling it and like getting really burnt out. And the only solution is like, do I continue going on like this and killing myself in the process? Like I started this journey so I could work for myself and have like an easier life, right? And more fulfilled life, not to be miserable, exhausted, you know, working like 10, 15 hour days. That's just not sustainable. So I think I, I reached that breaking point and then tying that in with like the business coaching and then also connecting with other founders and kind of just understanding that it's normal to feel that way. But like you need to like let go and like loosen the reins a little bit and then like you're going to see the payoff from that. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, so something like cookie dough, you know, there's like so many different cookie dough brands out there right now. I'm curious what you did in particular to set yourself up so that you would like differentiate yourself from all the other cookie dough brands and what you did to really make it shine. So when I started in 2019, yeah, it was like three months before the pandemic started. The whole, I guess, foundation of like my company is better for you, right? So like all of our products are functional. They have added protein. We're actually launching like a brand new improved product, I guess, improved version of Brodo into the market in a few weeks, like here in Canada. And yeah, just like cleaner ingredients, plant-based, functional, and then tying into that, just having a really strong brand. And the one thing that I think I do really well over a lot of the other competitors in the market is just, you know, the community that I've built and the relationship that I have with customers and followers. Um, I've been very open and transparent since day one on platforms like TikTok, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And, um, you know, I remember getting on Instagram when I had like 200 followers and was talking on my stories like as if I had like 10,000 followers and it's like hey guys we're restocking and like I want to know what you think and I'd have like one person message me and be like I think this <laughs> I'm like great and I would send like customers like voice notes or videos and like get their feedback and then it eventually started scaling out and then I would get more people interested and involved and 
Um, same with like, I write Christmas cards to like my, my VIP customers or customers who like purchase pretty regularly. And some of them are my friends and they like follow me on my personal social media accounts and message me, which is really cool. So I think it's having a really great product and then partnering that with just having like a great business that cares about the people who support it. That's so cool that you take the extra time to do like those little things to really mm-hmm. show the appreciation. And like how... I'm curious if you knew like at the beginning how important community is for like a product or if you found that out later on and how you've really like been able to continue to build that community. You know, I think it's because I had no money to spend on marketing and I was forced. It was it was like me and, you know, $10,000 is all I had to start the business. And all of that was going towards like products, like inventory, packaging, some design, like odds and ends there, here and there. I didn't, I couldn't spend money on paid ads. And I remember when I pressed like submit on my Shopify or publish on my Shopify website, I was waiting. I was, you know, waiting for people to come and buy and, you know, and my like friends and family were Googling Brodo and it wasn't on the first Google page. It wasn't on the second Google page. And then I learned about SEO and then I realized shit, like I have to figure out how to get people to my, my website. And how do you do that? Oh, you have to spend money on getting people there. Right. So I thought, okay, how can I be strategic and like get organic traffic? And that's when I made like the promise to myself, okay, like let's make a very interesting, I guess, brand around the product, right? And do something a little bit different than what all the other products are out there. Because a lot of the social media that other brands have is very product-based. Like you see the product, they talk about the product, the benefits of the product, why you should use the product. It's not very relatable or personable. And there's like a missing human element of that. And, you know, people are going to see that and it's not going to resonate with them and they're not going to follow. Whereas with like our platform, it's like, okay, what value can we add to you? Yes, like we have products, but we want you to feel like, you know, there's a reason why you come to our page. Like we're not just going to like blast you with, you know, sell, sell, sell. We want you to like feel more included and build out that community. And I think just having that mindset from the beginning has really helped and, understanding that it's just one customer at a time, right? And word of mouth is so powerful. People underestimate how far that can go. Like one customer, if you send them a handwritten note, maybe they post it on their Instagram story or they tell a friend and they're like, oh, this person, this brand took the time to like write me a handwritten note. And then their friend goes and orders and then maybe they post about it and they tell someone and then it just spreads that way. So I think it's there's a lot of power in the small details. And I'm curious with going back to something you said earlier about having like that vision of like 10,000 followers, what your product could be in the future when in the beginning, like you don't necessarily see anything that reflects that, right? Like in the beginning, you might not have any sales, nothing happening. You know, you just have the product. I'm curious how you're able to hold that vision at the beginning when like all around you, you just can't see anything that looks like that vision. I'm really good at delayed gratification because of going back to my bodybuilding. Like I lost 40 pounds over the span of a year and a half. And, you know, like I remember when I first started prepping, I had no muscle mass or anything. I spent a year putting on muscle mass and then dieting. And then I saw my body transform, you know, so I'm very good at being patient or being aggressively patient. And that 
is one skill that I was able to transfer over to having a business. It's the same thing. Like you're not going to get immediate results and things take time. And I think that's why a lot of businesses or founders are not successful is because they expect immediate results, you know, or like I have, I have friends or people that I know who start businesses and they're not making bank like the first like three, four or five months. And then they scrap that idea and then they start a new one. And then the same thing, it's just a cycle but it's like, had you had stuck to that first business, you know, you might have been making money by now if you just stuck it out, right? And saw it all the way through. So I think, yeah, just for me, it's compounding interest, right? Like you're making those deposits and eventually it's going to pay off. And, you know, like even with TikTok, for example, I remember when I first started posting videos on there and people can be very cruel. I, uh, I took a lot of time to make videos and this one video... And I like I tell this story quite often just to show people that like you just can't let comments get to you and you have to keep showing up. But I I probably spent like 45 minutes, maybe an hour making this video and I put it up and then it got three likes. And then someone commented like, damn, three likes, that's rough. And (laughs) I saw that and was like, wow, that's kind of mean. But I kept posting and you know, now we're at like almost 200,000 followers. So it's like, it's just one of those things you just have to keep showing up and putting in the work. And that's what wins at the end of the day is the person who continues to show up despite, you know, like, the results you're seeing you just have to keep showing up and putting in work i hope that person who said only three likes is still watching today and be like oh i hope so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> i know right yeah yeah and for going back back to being i believe you said patiently aggressive or was it aggressive patiently aggressively patient yeah okay, aggressively patient for someone who doesn't have any of that right now like what are some ways to build that Yeah, I would say like have non-negotiables with yourself and you can do this for your personal life. I do this for my personal life. Like there are things that I do every day. It's like, okay, I have to do X, Y, and Z every day, regardless of what's happening in the day, you know? And for me, that's like drinking X amount of water, exercising, journaling. And then for the business, I have like my power list. So I have like things that I do every day. I have a list of five things. And when I'm done those things, and it's like, okay, the rest of the day is mine. Sometimes it takes less time. Sometimes it takes more time. But I think it's just getting into the habit of doing hard things regularly and keeping the promises you make to yourself. Because I think confidence comes from, you know, staying true to what you say you're going to do. And if you're saying you're going to do things and you never do them, how can you move the needle forward and you're going to lack a lot of confidence? So I think having those non-negotiables and then sticking to the promises you make to yourself just day by day, taking it day by day. It's great to have like a long-term vision and look at the long-term goals. And, you know, in business, it's like Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4. That's great. But also like take things day by day because that's how things are built, right? They're built slowly and consistently. And that's all it is, right? It's not super complicated. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious what's on your business power list every day. Yeah, I mean, I have like the, it depends what's going on. Like right now we're launching new products. So it's like ordering ingredients and, you know, I'm fundraising money. So it's like outreaching to like five investors and setting up calls and doing different things like that. So every day looks a little different. And then, yeah, my personal power list, I've been slacking a little bit, but I want to get back into journaling and doing that because I think that's super important and just practicing gratitude because 
sometimes it's hard to do that. And you can get so lost in the day to day if you don't like sit down with your thoughts and like write stuff out on paper. And do you do like free flow journaling? Or do you have like a prompt that you do? So I have both. I have one or if I'm like really going through it, I have like a dark one that's not templates. <laughs> just, you know, and then sometimes I look at that. And I'm like, Ooh, that was really bad. Um, that was a tough day. But uh, and then I have one, it's called mindful as fuck. And it's like, uh, I got it from Amazon. And it's the same template every day. And at the top, there's a quote on each page. And uh, yeah, they're they're like funny quotes. They're great. And then there's uh, goals, uh, reflections, things I'm struggling with, and then things that I want to achieve. And it's just like the same thing every day. And Sometimes if I'm really struggling, I go back to that book and I flip through and I just look at all of the adversity and recognize that, okay, this was really hard. I went through this and I made it out. And then, you know, the next two weeks were really great. And then, you know, I went through this and then I figured that out. And then, so I think it's good to have that too, just to reflect on and understand that, you know, the circumstances that you are currently experiencing are temporary and they're not going to last. It can feel the opposite of that and it feels like sometimes that it's never gonna you know go away and you're gonna be like in a bad place for a long time but I think yeah journaling helps for sure I love that name of the book yeah it's good right (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's a good name something definitely to look into and I feel like you do like a really good job of this of like Yes, it's cookie dough, but we know so much from about you from your content, like it really feels personal. I'm curious how you're able to do that. And if you have any tips for someone who has a product, but like, they're kind of struggling on creating content that's really relatable and able to not just be like, here's my product, here's like the features, but really be able to create content like yours. Yeah, just start like filming stuff. Like, I always tell people just compile like a folder like on your phone or on your computer with all of the content that you've ever taken, like photos, videos, anything related to like your personal brand or the business or whatever. And then you can just manipulate that content and use it in different forms. Like you can make videos, you can put voiceovers and uh, everyone really preaches the whole building in public. I guess, a strategy for building businesses now, people really want to see that. uh, And it goes a long way. And it's not only getting customers, but turning those customers into fans. And when you have a fan, right, like they, you know, like, look at Taylor Swift, look at her fans, right? Like they're, they will, (laughs) they will die on a hill for her. So I think it's like having that kind of mentality and being like, how can I get people to root for me? How can I show that I'm like the underdog and like the highs and the lows? And that's something that a lot of people aren't comfortable with. Like they don't want to show the lows and the struggles and the hard days. And when founders do come forward or people do come forward on the internet and they do pull back that side of the curtain and you get to see it, it's like, wow, like I have a lot of respect for that person. They're letting me in and letting me see this part of their world. Whereas a lot of people are very uncomfortable with that and they want to paint a picture and make you think that things are a certain way. Right. So I think it's just getting uncomfortable doing that and then understanding that it's going to add value for others. And then in turn, they're going to, you know, it's going to resonate with them and they're going to want to support you. So also, whenever I put out content, I ask myself, like, what value am I adding? Right? Like, can I talk about my fuck ups and what I did wrong? And can I help prevent someone from making the same mistake? Like, I'm more than willing to talk about the mistakes that I made if it can help someone on the other side. Like, you don't know who it could reach or who could read it or who needs it in that moment as well. Right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it's funny you mentioned Taylor Swift because I'm thinking about like her latest concert and how much people paid for the tickets because of just that connection that she had with everyone. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. 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 Very crazy. (laughs) (laughs) But and also with like 
with content, I'm curious what your strategy is. Like, how often are you posting? What platforms are, like, your focus right now? So I post daily. I posted every day this year so far on LinkedIn. That has been my goal in 2021. I did the 365 challenge. So posted once a day, every day. And what I do for that platform specifically, I sit down every Sunday and I schedule all my posts for the following week. And you can do that internally now on LinkedIn. It's a really great tool that they have. So I just time block there. And then I spend about an hour, maybe sometimes more every day, just like engaging with other people on the platform there and building out those relationships. And then TikTok, I was going so hard on for so long. <laughs> I was posting every day, multiple times a day. I'm back there posting, but maybe like five, four times a week. And again, Instagram as well. I think you know, I used to think that TikTok was the place to be and the only place to be. And it's really great for virality and getting eyes on your, your business page and creating brand awareness and building familiarity and trust with people. But uh, Instagram is just a really great place for community building. And you really know who's following you. Like you don't have user 685321 who's leaving, you know, damn three likes comments on your post. You have like <laughs> Johnny who plays lacrosse, who buys Brodo, right? And you like know. So, and you can message them directly and they can like, engage with like your stories and stuff. So we're really prioritizing Instagram and posting on there, not daily, but like four to five times a week, a mix between like reels. And oftentimes, like a lot of the content that goes on TikTok also goes on Instagram reels. So we're kind of killing two birds with one stone there. And um, YouTube shorts, again, just killing two birds with one stone or three birds with one stone and putting the same content from TikTok and Instagram onto YouTube shorts. Because YouTube shorts are kind of where TikTok was a few years ago. TikTok is more difficult to grow on now organically just because there's less real estate on the For You page. Like five out of every 10 videos now are sponsored posts. So you have less opportunity to get seen or make it into those organic, I guess, posts in the feed. Whereas like a year and a half ago, two years ago, it would be maybe two out of 10 were sponsored posts. So it was a lot easier. But yeah, I'm kind of everywhere, but I definitely prioritize, I think, LinkedIn the most out of all platforms. And why do you prioritize LinkedIn the most? It has added the most value to my company. I have found investors through there. I've been able to get into retail stores just because of my presence on the platform. I make an income through LinkedIn because my business is not profitable yet. So I'm able to, you know, use that platform to pay my bills. And it's just been a really great way to also develop business relationships. Like I've collaborated with other brands. I've messaged other founders and been able to be mentored by some very high level uh, CEOs, which has benefited my company immensely. I found like my operations advisor through LinkedIn. I found one of my other mentors through LinkedIn. It's just been such a good place to learn and grow. And even though it's not really D2C or customer based. It's more like B2B and more business. A lot of those people can be customers and will support and purchase. So I think like it's important to keep that in mind too, when people look at all the platforms and they think, oh, LinkedIn's like not the place to go. There's no customers there. There are, and they will be. You just have to put in the time and effort into growing that channel like any other channel. And with um, LinkedIn, I'm curious, like in particular for your posts, do you have a specific way that you write your post? Do you have like any focus on like the first few sentences? Do you have any like tips there for crafting a good LinkedIn post? 
Yeah, so I do a mix between like I do some text posts, I do photos and I do videos. And yeah, those first two lines are like the most important. And then you have the see more where people can like click and, you know, see the rest of the content. So I think having something very controversial in the first two lines or something that is, you know, something that not many people admit to, like, for example, I posted one a few days ago or yesterday and it was like I don't have many regrets but I do have one I wasted thousands of dollars in my early days of having my business or whatever it was so yeah I guess keeping that in mind and understanding like the algorithm the way that it works is it wants people to engage with your content as much as possible and if someone's hovering over your post or if they click see more or if they're like reading the comments and scrolling through the comments the algorithm is gonna see that as you know the post is interesting and it's you know like interesting enough for people to engage let's push it to more people and then it's the same thing so that's how posts go viral so having those first two lines be very interesting enough to like click is super important carousels are doing really well now on linkedin they're starting to favor those i haven't done any of those yet uh like one of the top creators on linkedin justin welsh he does a really good job with that he has 250,000 followers or something like that. It's crazy. But yeah, it's always changing. LinkedIn is always, it's like TikTok. It's like any other platform. They're always like changing things and it's like a game. It's like roulette oftentimes because I have a bunch of other friends who are creators too. And they're like, what's up with the algorithm today? Like this post isn't getting seen. I don't know what's happening. And it's a lot of trial and error. So yeah. (laughs) It's funny that you compared social media and LinkedIn to a game because I feel like it's very much a game. (laughs) It is. It truly is. You never know. (laughs) That's funny. And how do you come up with so many pieces of content? Like one piece of content every day that you you were posting. That's a lot of content to come up with. I, you know, I've been doing it for a long time now. I think like I started in 2020. Yeah. So like two over two years, two and a half years before it was really hard. And it was really hard when I first started my business because I felt like I didn't have a lot to say. And I also felt like a lot of the things that you know, I was doing in my business or like in my personal life, like I didn't think people wanted to hear it or it was important enough to share. And I know that's something a lot of people struggle with. Like they want to say something or they they feel like they have something to share and they're like, oh, it's not important enough or why would people want to listen to me, right? So I got over that. And then just over the past few years, just being on the platform regularly, I've put out so much content and I recycle through it as well. Like I'll plug Shield. So Shield's a analytics tool that I use and it plugs in with LinkedIn And you can go and just scroll through and sort through all your posts from top performing to least performing, click it, and then it'll take you right to the post. And you can just recycle or reword or restructure different posts that you've, you know, put out in the past. And I think having like different buckets of content as well. Like I don't always talk about business. I talk about like my personal life. Like I posted a picture of me and my best friend like a week or two ago. And, you know, like we grew up together and she's packing her life up and moving out west. And, you know, just talking about like things like that, too. I think people kind of get stuck on LinkedIn being a business platform, but it's so much more now. Like people are recognizing that you can't really compartmentalize your business from personal. It's often intertwined and it's okay to share like all of that on the platform. And for Instagram, do you have any tips on how to grow more there? Anything you've been noticing with the platform or any changes as well? Stop posting about your product, I guess. Like that's just, I I look at, um, you know, I have a full-time employee, like a team member. He's really awesome. And 
our Instagram is doing phenomenal. Like we're at almost like 7% engagement or something. It's pretty crazy. And we've built it organically to almost 10,000 followers. We're so close. I think we're like 50 away from 10K or something. But uh, yeah, like not not buying followers. I see that's like one huge mistake that a lot of people make. They want to get past the 10K mark. So they buy followers and it just screws up your engagement and your visibility on the platform. And doing as much as you can to get people to engage with your content. So not just putting out product posts, but putting out stuff that's relatable to your audience. So a lot of people who follow my business page are Gen Zs and millennials. So sometimes we put out like a carousel of, oh, um, seven things you forgot about from elementary school or something. And like, it was just like a slide through of like all these different things, you know, like pizza day and these little like wheelie things that we had in gym class, like things like that, right? And those posts get a lot of engagement because they're nostalgic. And that's what our brand is kind of built around is nostalgia because cookie dough is a nostalgic snack, right? You eat it growing up. And then posting like memes and stuff, tying that in there. And I've had like, yeah, those posts do really well and they're very funny. And then people share them and then it brings more attention to our page. And then they can find out, oh, okay, like this is like a company page and this is what they sell. And so I think having like a mix of different content that you put in there is key. And then using stories is really great too and getting people to engage with stories. So having like this or that or ask me questions like every Friday or yeah, like Founder Friday, maybe like people can like pop in and put in a question and you answer it with a video. Like the more you can get people engaging with your content, the more they're going to see you in their feed. Because, you know, I follow like on my personal one, like 700 pages. And if I'm scrolling on my feed, I'm not going to see all 700, right? Like, I'm going to not see a lot of those people that I follow. The ones that I see are the ones that I engage with. So how can you make the cut? You have to engage with your followers. So and an example of that, too, is when we get a new follower, we have like a message that we send them. And then we don't go to all of them, but we do like a good chunk. Like we go to their page, their Instagram page, and we like and comment on a few of their pictures. Like maybe Molly has a dog named Zach and we comment and like, Zach is so cute, you know, and just like getting like in there and building out that relationship with them. And I think that adds a lot of value and it doesn't take that much time out of your day. So if you can just you know, have that be on your power list every day, maybe engage with 10 customer accounts or something that goes such a long way. Such a great idea is to go and engage with them right away and send them a message. That's great. What is something right now that you're excited about? It could be any aspect of your life. What am I excited about? Well, I'm excited about my new products launching into the market because we've been working Long story short, we launched with these tubs of cookie dough into retail stores last year. And I found that they just weren't selling that well because they were too expensive. They were in these big bulky tubs. They were hard to eat. There were six servings in a tub. So we actually scrapped that whole product line and we're launching new single serve like cookie dough bites. Those are coming out like literally in like three weeks. So it's been like six or seven months in the works and lots of taste testing and working on packaging and design and it'll all be coming together soon. So I'm really excited to see that, you know, the fruits of my labor. Hmm. That's so cool. I'm thinking of like a cute little ice cream. You know how they have the ice cream ones that you can get at like 7-Eleven or something, but cookie dough. It'd be so cool yeah. to have just one because if I have the whole cookie dough, I'm going to want to eat the whole cookie dough. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it was. People would find out how many calories was in a tub, like the bigger tubs. And they're like, oh, 900 calories. That's crazy. I'm not going to, you know, now mm-hmm. it's just like one serving. They're like these three little bites. We cleaned up the ingredients as well. Like they're a lot like 
cleaner, healthier, better for you. And they taste amazing. So I'm so excited for that. Mm. And what are the flavors? So we have birthday cake, uh, peanut butter and chocolate chip. Those are the three that we're launching with. And of course, I have to ask this probably like TBD, but any like news about like US or when you're coming to the US or any updates there? Yeah, so I guess keeping it keeping it real, it's been a little bit of a mess. Um, so basically, I've had this problem where like over 50% of our followers on TikTok are American. And I've been putting out all this content and it's been reaching people in the US that can't buy, they can't support because um, it's, you know, it's hard shipping a refrigerated product into another country. And it's one thing to be in Canada when it's cold, like half the year, but then in the US, you get like Texas and California and all these really hot places. So we're launching shelf-stable cookies that are basically the cookie dough, but in cookie format, and they're called Brodo Baked, and they'll be launching, they should have been launching sooner, but we're still working through the R&D, and they're going to be manufactured in Texas. So those are going to be launching this year. We're just finalizing the details for that, but that'll be available. And then eventually down the road, as we grow, the cookie dough will be available there as well. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to have some cookies <laughs> later yeah, on. Yeah, me too. I'm excited too. <laughs> And that will be all of those flavors or would it be a different flavor for the baked cookies? So we're going to have two flavors and they're going to be chocolate chip. And then there's a different one that, uh, yeah, I'm not going to announce yet, but it's a good one. I, I took some uh, surveys and this is the one that won out of the flavors that I asked about. So I think it'll be good. Cool. And what is something that has been really big for you in your personal development journey, book, podcast, video? What's something that's really helped you? I would have to say, so me personally, like exercising every morning has just helped my mind and everything and doing yoga and meditating. And then on top of that, I listen to podcasts. And like one that I listened to, I listened to it this morning is Ed Milet's. Uh, it's just the Ed Milet show. And then I'm in a business group that's he runs as well. And I think being a part of business groups and having like many people around you is super important. That's like helped my company and me tenfold for sure. Mm, I love Ed Milet. I listen to He's great. all of the time. It's incredible. Yeah. I actually got to see him speak with Lewis House in Ohio. And he was oh, cool. such a good speaker. But yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. And what is something you're learning right now? I'm learning... I guess I'm learning how to get money from people and how to fundraise because I've never done that before, right? Like I went into this starting a cookie dough company and now I'm three and a half years in and it's like, okay, now I have to go and ask investors to trust me and give me money to grow my business. So this is a whole new learning curve for me. It's a very, yeah, it's a, it's a very new experience. And I guess coupling with that is stepping into the role of being an employer. I've never really been, you know, in like a leadership position before, had people rely on me or manage people. So again, this is like something new that I'm learning. Yeah, I feel like it never ends. You're always going to be learning and growing and there's no there's no finish line for sure. Mm -hmm. I'm curious so far, what's something that's helped you with asking people for money? Because that could feel very intimidating for starting to get investors, starting to pitch people. What's helped you so far? Again, like having really great mentors and also being very like emotionally detached from the company. Like when I go in and I'm asking and, you know, I'm very open to receiving constructive criticism. I think that's one thing that founders need to, you know, that's one skill you need to have is like put your ego aside and recognize like, you know, take the feedback that people are giving you and having, you know, fortitude and grit and 
keeping like keep keep knocking on doors and like having those calls and having those conversations even when you hear no's like you're gonna hear one yes for every 100 no's so I think again like having that you know it comes to delayed gratification right it's the same with content <laughs> it's it's all across like in business and everything you just have to keep going and keep showing up keep like you know, putting in the work to move the needle forward. But uh, yeah, I, I would say that. And how have you been able to emotionally detach yourself from the business? Because sometimes you, it's easy to like intertwine them too and feel like they're rejecting you if they're rejecting like investing in your business. I'm curious how you've been able to keep those separate. I mean, it's still been hard because, you know, and I try not to like think of it this way, but I used to believe that, oh, my business is my baby, like my brand's my baby. And you can't think like that, especially like you can't tie your whole identity to the business. And again, this is something I worked through with my business coach. I thought that, um, you know, people wouldn't like if anything happened to Brodo or if had I like got out of Brodo and did something else. I would have to start all over and no one would know who I am. I would lose all sense of self. Like people would like see me as a failure, you know, like, cause again, I would feel, I felt, I thought that like if the business died, I would die. Right. So I kind of got used to building my own identity out and like kind of detaching, even though my personal brand is strongly tied to Brodo. I'm still Erica. I still have my own stuff that I'm going on and that I'm building. I'm just, I just happen to be the person who's building this company. And I used to have an ego and I used to be very, protective and would be very uh, reactive to any type of criticism (laughs) that I would get. And reflecting back, you know, I realized, okay, these people were just genuinely trying to help for the greater good. And sometimes you need to have those hard conversations. And the people who have those hard conversations with me and tell me things that I don't necessarily want to hear, but I need need to hear are the ones who like I want to keep close because they're they're the ones that do care about you. So I think just having that mentality and again, if anything happens, if I ever get like an email or a message or something where things are going wrong or someone says something that offends me or like I I react to it, I take like at least like 12 to 24 hours to like process it. And rather than respond emotionally, I can respond logically and not burn any bridges because that's when shit can get really bad is if you are all fired up and then you respond right away and you get all defensive and put your walls up. And I think things can get like misinterpreted as well if you're too quick to react. Yeah, I love that you said that and that you give yourself that time to process because it's so easy to want to react and just like say whatever just comes to mind. Yeah, that's definitely a different skill that might be somewhat like linked to delayed gratification. Just I don't know. I feel like that's the theme for today's video is delayed gratification. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I have a final question for you. If you were to go back in time and talk to your 20 year old self, what would you want to tell her? Or if you want to tell her nothing at all, that's an option as well. I think I would say that there are good people in the world who want to help you. I was very bitter at 20. Like I was, you know, freshly, freshly broken up with and very closed off. And I spent like most of my teenage years, I guess, around the wrong people who didn't care about me and were not kind to me and hung out with me for the wrong reasons. And so I kind of painted everyone with the same brush. And then as I got into, you know, my 20s, and I grew and I like to think that I'm a lot wiser. I'm going to look back, though, in my 30s and be like, wow, at 28, you really knew nothing still. (laughs) It's always like that. You always look back and you think at the time, you know, everything and you're so smart, you have it all figured out. And you really you don't you're nowhere near you're nowhere near it. But yeah, I guess I would just say like to to be more open and let people in 
and yeah, understand that there are shitty people in the world, but there's also a lot of good, genuine, kind-hearted people who want to see you win. Thank you so much for doing this today. Yeah, this was so fun. I haven't really been on a show like this. So yeah, it was a good conversation. Awesome. And where can we find you? Where can we stalk you? Yeah, you can stalk my business. Uh, We're Eat Brodo on TikTok and Instagram. And then I can be found on LinkedIn, Erica Rinkin. Thank you guys so much for listening. I love if you can leave me a review on iTunes. Please feel free to share it with any friends you think the story would resonate with. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.